listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. This morning, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1. We will be there in just a second. But let me begin uh, just saying uh, how excited I was to hear this morning of some exciting news. Many of you know that we are are praying that God would help our church and the witness of our church to see 17 different areas affected through the gospel, that someone would come to know Christ in 17 different areas in Atlanta. Now this morning I'm not going to report about one of those areas, but uh, Kitty Rogers was telling me uh, before Sunday school that this week she got to share the gospel with one of her dear relatives who for years has served in Buddhism. And she's been praying that God would help this relative come to Christ. And just during this last visit, Kitty was able to see her come and trust Christ as her Savior. And, uh, and so we are thrilled. You know, God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And my prayer is that God would save someone from all 17 of these locations this next year But I don't think God wants to stop with those 17 locations. He wants us to see people saved all around through our witness. And so please share with me as you see people come to Christ, pray for this dear relative that uh, she would now grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So praise the Lord for that. Well, today, it's the first day of the week, Sunday. As you consider the prospect of another week, as you look over the course of what's going to come over the next seven days, are you planning to rejoice in all of them? Does it depend on what happens this week, whether you'll rejoice or not? Is it this, if if my stocks go up, if my portfolio continues to rise, then there'll be some rejoicing. Or if my team wins, okay, or if she says yes, or if I get that grade, or if I pass that class, that's if I'll, that's going to be dependent whether I'll rejoice or not. Or if the diagnosis is favorable, then I'll rejoice. Or if my kids obey this week, If I don't kill them, okay? If I don't have any anxiety attacks, or if I don't have any migraines, let me tell you that if your future rejoicing is dictated by your unknown circumstances, let me tell you, prepare yourself for disappointment this week. Because you and I live in a fallen world. And as I mentioned to you last week, in the world you shall have what? Tribulation. But what does Jesus say? But be of good what? But be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. Last week, we heard how Paul rejoiced in his present circumstances. What was going on in his life at that very moment, what was he doing in them? He was rejoicing in them. Why? Because 
the gospel was advancing, he said. Because of, uh, because of my current situations and the gospel going out to both believers and unbelievers, he could rejoice. In fact, listen to what it says at the beginning of verse 18. This is our text from last week. He says this, what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and notice what he says next, and in that I rejoice. And literally what it's saying is this, I am in the midst of rejoicing in those circumstances. So it was present rejoicing at that very moment. But it's interesting, did you know that Paul doesn't stop with present rejoicing? Paul adds to this rejoicing. In fact, what he does as he looks at the prospect of his next week or his next month or his next year, as he looks to the future, he not only shares what he's doing currently, but he shares what he will do in the future. And I want you to look at the end of verse 18, a little phrase that I didn't focus on last week, but we cannot miss this jewel. He says, and in that I rejoice, and then it says, yes, and I what? I will rejoice. Did you catch that word will? This is in the future tense. He's looking at the prospect of the days ahead. He says, I'm not just going to rejoice in what currently is happening in my life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rejoice in the future. I'm already planning on it. I'm going for it. Can you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, can you plan to rejoice this week, period? Whatever may come your way, period, you are going to plan to rejoice. Even with all the uncertainties that were facing Paul at the very time of the writing of the book of Philippians, he tells us of his future rejoicing. Why? And here's what the truth we're going to get today. It's this. With Jesus Christ in your life, you can keep rejoicing. You can continue to to do it. Whatever may come, your future is as bright as the promises of God. Have you ever thought about that? If you know Christ, you can do what he later tells the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, how could and how did Paul do this? Kind of the title of my message is this future rejoicing, planning on it. How did Paul do this? I want you to catch two truths, really simple, and the first one is this. Know a gripping truth. You've got to know a gripping truth. It's interesting, in our previous text, the the section that I preached to you last week, which was verse 12 through verse 18, Paul wrote what he wanted the Philippians to know. I want you to catch this. Go back to verse 12. He says this, I want you to know, and I have in my copy of the scriptures in front of me, I have it highlighted. He wanted them to know something. He wanted it to be in the front of their mind. And of course, what did he want them to know? He wanted them to know that the circumstances, as he's in a prison, and as he's facing an unknown future, 
he's rejoicing because it is going to work for good. Both to, it was working for good, both for unbelievers, because a lot of people were getting to know who Jesus was, and it was also helping believers because they were being strengthened in the faith. So he tells them, okay, I want you to know something, but here in our text today, now he tells them what he knows. He says, I want you to know this, but let me tell you what I know. Look what he says in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. You know what Paul did? He had a unwavering confidence that God was going to bring about his deliverance. Now, what was this deliverance? There's a number of opinions of what it was. One opinion could be this. His deliverance was that he would be delivered from his present prison predicament. Okay, there's all three Ps, okay. Was he assured of and did he know that he was going to be delivered at that moment from his prison cell? So that's one opinion. The other one was, another one would be this. He was confident of his final deliverance in God's presence. He was talking about his salvation. I know that I'm going to be delivered from all of this, and I'm one day going to be with the Lord. Now, the first one, present predicament, you can kind of support that, you could say, interpretation, because later on in the text, he says this, I'm convinced that I'm going to come back and visit you. However, the second opinion that he's talking about kind of the final salvation, that can be supported by the fact that when he's saying this in just a few phrases, he'll say whether it's by life or by what? Death. It could be either one. I don't know what's going to happen. And so I know God's going to deliver me finally. Which one is it? I'm going to give you a third option. I don't think he's being very specific. He's just being general. He's not pinpointing whether it's now or whether it's later. But he's simply this. I know God's going to deliver me. (laughs) However he decides to do it, I know I am going to get deliverance. It's almost like this. It's almost like uh, this week my son played. uh, Jacob has been playing baseball, and they lost their playoff game. He wasn't delivered from his present baseball predicament. It wasn't like my son was promised, I'm going to help you win this individual game. And it wasn't like, hey, I'm promising you that you're going to win the championship. The promise was this, even whether you win or lose or whatever, guess what? You are going to be a winner. And I often tell my, my kids, remember doing this all the time, Uh, Hey, it doesn't matter what's on the scoreboard, win or lose. I mean, you are a winner on heaven's scoreboard if you honor the Lord. And in the same way, I I believe what he's telling these Philippians, he's saying this, I am confident that whether I win or lose in this particular event, he knows he's going to win in the future, yes. But he says this, God is going to deliver me in this present 
particular situation. He was convinced that God would give whatever was needed in each situation to help him to live for him. In fact, he gives a statement. Notice that little phrase. He says, this will turn out for my deliverance. You see that little phrase right there? Did you know that that was none other than a quotation? He is quoting from an Old Testament hero. Who was it? He literally is quoting from Job. Remember Job's unwise counselors who come and tell him he must have done something wrong? What does Job say? Listen to what he says in Job chapter 13. He says this, Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. And then Job says this, This will be my salvation. Literally, that is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, this will be my salvation, my deliverance. I will be delivered. God is going to work all of my situations out for his glory and for my vindication. What did Paul know and what was the cause of his rejoicing? He is going to work all things for my good and for his glory. He knows that. He's meditating on that truth. And let me tell you, if you are going to be someone who is going to have future rejoicing in your life, there is one truth you are going to have to meditate on continually in your life. And it's this, that God is going, because you're a believer, work everything for your good and for his glory. He promises to do that. Regardless of how God brings about your deliverance, it will happen one way or another. Notice what was his eager expectation and hope in the midst of that trial and what he knew God was going to do. Look what he says in verse 20. He says this, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So as he's going through the situation, he says, you know what my eager expectation is? And that little phrase, eager expectation, literally it's describing the straining of one's neck toward a goal. He says, my eager expectation, my goal, his desire is that he would not be ashamed in his current predicament and that he would boldly speak of Jesus before the tribunal that he was about to have to stand before. And what did he want? He wanted Jesus' Christ, his name, and literally it says this, that his name would be honored in my body. If you want to know what that word honored means, literally, I think some of the old translations that God would be magnified in his body. And, and literally what it means is this, that through my life, God would be made big to all the people around. Almost like a set of binoculars where something afar off, you pull the binoculars there and it magnifies the image. He says, My goal and my desire is that I won't be ashamed in this situation, but that through my life, God would become big before all the watching world. That Jesus Christ would be brought into full view. 
When Paul spoke of what he knew, he didn't know whether life was going to continue for him or whether death was going to come knocking at his door, but he knew that God was going to deliver him for his glory and help him not to be ashamed and to boldly proclaim Jesus. He had a steady faith in the faithfulness of God. That is why he could rejoice in the future. And I'll tell you this, if you don't know this truth, there's a problem. Do you have faith in the faithfulness of God that whatever is going to happen to you this week, because he who gave his own son for you and delivered him up for you, shall he not freely give you all things that you need this week? That you can be more than conquerors through him who loved you and that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You're going to have to remind yourself, and he tells them, yes, I will rejoice. Why? Because I know. I know something. I know God's going to bring about my deliverance. How he does it, I don't know. I'm not assured. But I want you to notice another Jewel, I mean, before we go here, have you forgotten, really a question is, have you forgotten the promises that God has given you in Jesus Christ? When you came to know him, you have everything going for you. When you received him and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you got all the promises. In fact, there's a text that says, in him are all the promises and you are filled in him. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. It says this, for all the promises of God. Now think about that. Does God have a lot of promises in the word? All the promises of God find their what? Yes in him. And when you said yes to Jesus, you got all of God's promises. And that is why it is through Jesus, him, that we utter amen to God for his glory. Two of my favorite verses in all the Bible says this, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Another one is this, through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. If you have Jesus, you have everything going for you. In fact, a a beautiful promise that will show up later in this series is in Philippians chapter 4. I mean, uh, you're welcome to turn, or here it is. I can do what? All things. Through who? Through him who what? Strengthens me. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And if you today know Jesus as your Savior, if there's been a point in your life where you have transferred your faith away from yourself and your own actions and placed it on Jesus Christ. At that moment, he delivered you from an eternity. But he's also become your deliverer currently. And you can be assured of the fact that whatever comes your way, you can rejoice in the midst of it because it will bring about your deliverance. But also... What helped Paul become so confident that God would do this? Go to verse 19. He knew this. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my 
deliverance. Two things that helped assure him of these truths, one of them was this, the prayers of God's people. There was a group of people who were back at Philippi who were praying for him. And then the other thing that he knew was going to help him toward that deliverance was the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he knew the people were praying for him. And I'll remind all of you, did you know that your prayers for God's saints in this room, when they're going through difficult situations, I mean, we, we got tons of difficult situations going on in our assembly right now. As you spend time, as you get each week a weekly update and you read about all the dire circumstances that our church finds itself in, and as you begin to pray that God would deliver them and help them through that particular trial, did you know that those prayers are meaningful, purposeful, and God uses them? In fact, Paul says it is through those and the help of the Spirit that I can have this confidence of my deliverance. In fact, Paul had seen that deliverance happen before. In the book of Romans, it's interesting. When Paul knew that he was about to go back to Jerusalem, and he knew that there were a lot of bad people in Jerusalem that wanted him dead, what did he do? He asked the Romans, he says, Romans, I want you to pray for me when, that I would be delivered from ungodly men who are out to get me when I get to Jerusalem. That's my own translation, okay? So he pr- and they start praying for him. How do I know that God answered it? It's because what I mentioned to you last week, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, and he, he, he's ministering, he gets arrested, and there's a group of 40 people, men, who decide that they are not going to eat or drink until they what? Kill Paul. But remember, Paul had asked the church at Rome to pray for him and that God would deliver him from those men. So what happens? It's interesting. Paul's nephew hears about this secret plan. How did that happen? God. And he goes into Paul's prison cell and he says, hey, there's this conspiracy. And he's so, he's young to the point of at one point in, the, in the, the dialogue, it says that they took him by the hand to bring him to the authorities to tell about the plot. And what ends up happening? God allows an armed escort to transport Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea. How big was the escort? Remember, 40 people were out to kill him. It was 470 people guarding one prisoner. Who did that? God used the prayers of his saints, but also the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. Just like the Spirit, and you study the life of Jesus, Jesus was one in which he was filled with the Spirit and enabled by the Spirit his entire ministry. He did everything in the power of the Spirit. Of course, I believe this is talking, of course, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit of Christ, we know the Trinity, it's a beautiful picture of their unity. But the idea is, is that the Holy Spirit is the one who's at work in you to help you live in the midst of those difficulties. And Paul knew it. But I stop here to say this. 
what was the ground of Paul's rejoicing? It was this. He knew a gripping truth. And that gripping truth was this, that God was going to deliver him. Whether by life or by death, that the victory was going to come through Jesus. And that allowed him to say this, and I will, whatever their circumstances, I will rejoice. It may not look, it may not happen the way I want it to happen. It may not look exactly how it's supposed to look in my eyes, but I'm not in charge of that. God's in charge of this. I mean, Pastor Hester would constantly remind me of this. There's an Old Testament Hallel psalm that Jesus probably would have sang at dinner before he goes to the cross. And it was that little phrase, this is the day that the Lord hath what? Made. I will what? I will rejoice and be glad in it. And what did Jesus know? He, was, he knew he was going to the cross. He knew the difficulties that would have. This is the day, but I will rejoice in the midst of it. That's why Jesus could say uh, that enduring the cross, despising the shame, but for the joy that was what? Set what? Before him. He knew. He went through it. So number one, if you are going to have future rejoicing this next week and are able to live that way, you've got to know certain truths. And that first truth is that you know that God is going to deliver you. But number two, you need to live for a greater purpose. Know a gripping truth, live for a greater purpose. Paul now shares his philosophy of life. In fact, it's one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Let's look at it. He now says this, For to me, to live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. That's Paul's purpose in life. Notice he says, for to me. And what he's communicating here is this. This is my personal claim. And I'll tell you this, it must become your claim as well. Paul may have said this, but can you make this personal for you, for me? Just because Paul did it doesn't mean that you're doing it. You need to make it true for you. But that whole phrase, that next little phrase, to live is Christ and to die is gain, is a beautiful, poetic little phrase. In fact, in the Greek, there's both assonance and consonance. You say, what does that mean? Common vowels and common consonant sounds that make it very poetic. In fact, In the Greek, it has no verbs. They're supplied. For me to live is Christ. Literally, what it's saying is this. To live, Christos, Christ. To die, gain. What Paul was saying that if living was what God wanted for him, if God chose for his life to continue, living would be this. It would be all Christ. It would be for Christ. It would be Christ living through him. I mean, what do you live for? Seriously, what do you live for? For to you, to live is, is it golf? Is it career? For me, to live is career. 
For me to live is my kids or my grandkids. That's why I'm living. I got to stay living because of my grandkids. You put in whatever. Right now, your life is it for me to live is this. For Paul, if it was going to be living, it was going to be Christ. Christ was the ultimate purpose of his life. The love of Christ constrained him to no longer live his life for himself, but unto him who had died for him and rose again. Christ was what it was all about. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to die to Paul's agendas, and he wanted to live for Christ. In fact, he had told the Galatians in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. So when Jesus Christ died, this is how he looked at himself. When Jesus died on the cross, I died with him. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who actually am living anymore, but Christ who now lives in me. And the life that I now live, I, that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That means Christ is everything. A while back I was listening to uh, some of the Gettys, Kristen Gettys music. And in one particular song, I can't remember exactly which one it is, she begins to pray in an, an old Irish prayer called a lorica or a prayer of protection. And she says this, she says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lay down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That is what Paul wanted. He wanted Christ to be magnified in his life. He had placed his faith in Christ. Now it was no longer his life to live. Have you ever come to that gripping truth? That it's no longer you, it's him. If he has done everything for you, for you to live is Christ. I mean, I can't help. I mean, this is the verse. I see Julie Chris here this morning. This is the verse that God allowed to be the last one he shared. Chris Jarnigan, with his wife, when, when God chose in that very difficult time, and he had to communicate some of the last words to Julie Chris and the family, of course, what he wanted written down so that she would be very clear to read was Dr. Jarnigan wrote, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Where did he learn that from? He learned that from, from Paul's example. That's what Paul lived for, for Christ. Now, had he attained perfection, okay? Had Paul, everything was Christ, he wanted that to be the case, but all of you who are truly followers of Jesus, you know, you fail often, don't you? You want it to be, for, for, for me to live as Christ, but sometimes you fall flat on your face. Sometimes it doesn't work out as much as what you wanted. In fact, he'll tell the Philippians later on, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfect, 
But I get up and I keep pressing toward the mark. And if you're here today and you can remember a time when it was to live for Christ and to die was gain, but you have fallen flat on your face, let me tell you, today's the day to get back up and start living for him. And putting that focus back into your sights. I mean, the best of us do it. Peter. You remember Peter? God, Jesus, I will follow you to what? Death. Hey, weren't you one of the ones with Jesus? Oh, I don't know that guy. Weren't you? Uh, no, not me. Three times he denied. In fact, Jesus had told him before he denied, he says, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I love this, but Jesus told him, but I have prayed for you. Just like other peoples are praying for us that we would be learn that deliverance, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. And what happens is Jesus, after he resurrects, he restores them. And isn't it interesting? He denied them three times. And three times Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. And three times he, he restores him to a place. And you may be someone today and you have, you were living for Christ. You've fallen on your face like Peter. Get back up and remind yourself to live for the purpose, the only great purpose, and that is for Christ. Let me tell you, it will be a hard journey. It will be hard, but keep pressing toward it. If God chooses for Paul to continue his life in the flesh, he said, I'm going to be, it's going to be for Christ. And I'll tell you that path, if God continues to let you live, it's going to be a path of intense trial but it can be fueled by a future joy, the joy that is set before you. You'll endure whatever you're dealing with because you know God will deliver you. Paul also said, now if God brings death in my, my future, in my immediate future, you know what he said? For to me to live, it's going to be Christ. But if it's death, it's going to be what? It's going to be gain. It's going to be good as well. Why was it gain? Because I'll be with Jesus. I'll be with him. It has been said that you cannot properly live life until you're ready to die. You can't properly live your life until you personally are ready to die. Paul had his eternity secure. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he forgives you of all your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. You are positionally righteous before him. And he who began a good work in you at that moment is going to complete it. And he knew that if he was to die, he would be with God. So he could rightly live life knowing that his future was settled. He had seen the resurrected Christ, and he knew that if he died, he would be resurrected at some point just like his Lord. So what does Paul do? He goes on to explain a little bit more. He says, if God chooses to spare my life, if he chooses in this situation to allow me to keep living, what would Paul do? He said he would keep laboring for Jesus. Verse 22, he says this, if I am to live in the flesh 
That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He then explains a very hard choice for him. If he was to choose whether to keep living for Christ or dying and going to be with Jesus, this is what he says, verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is what? Far better. I mean, what do I prefer, Paul said? I'm hard-pressed. Literally, that word means I'm being hemmed in on both sides. Both of them are pushing me in because they're both important. It's almost like Star Wars when they're in the trash compactor and the walls are coming in and they're like, what are we going to do? He says, I'm hard-pressed between one, to live for Christ and continue to go on living, but number two, to be able to be with Christ and to be with him personally. And he understood that if he was to die, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. He then shares his intense desire to depart and to be with Christ. You know, I have many dear saints in this church. Some of our senior saints who have shared with me, Pastor Brian, I just want to go to heaven. Why can I not just get there? Why is God keeping me around here? And they have an intense desire to be in heaven. And I'll tell you, many godly saints desire to depart and to be with Jesus. And the, that word depart there, it carries the idea of striking a tent, taking up the encampment. I just want to take up my tent and get going. Or it's basically releasing a boat from the slip. I'm ready to just strike the tent, unslip the boat, and I'm ready to go and to be with the Lord. Because he knew if he was dead, he'd be with Jesus. And being with Jesus, let me tell you, it's better than where we are right now. I'll stop here and say this. Have you ever desired just to die? Let me tell you, I have. Sometimes it's not for the good reason. Man, it's just too hard. But did you know that desiring to die is something that Paul did do? He says, I desire intensely to die to be with Jesus Christ. Because life is filled with difficulties and they'll be delivered. Believers can desire this, but there must also be a submission to God. Guess who gets to choose when that happens? God does. That choice isn't ours to make. For me to live as Christ and to die would be great gain. But it doesn't stop there. There was another greater purpose alongside Paul's love for God, because he loved God, he wanted to live for him, and he also wanted to be with, be with him. But there was another intense desire that he had, and it was this. He had a love for other people. Particularly, he had a love for these Philippians. And in verse 24, he says this, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Did you catch that? Notice that he puts his own preferences behind theirs. His desire was to be with God. 
But he said, you know what? What's more important for me is not what I want, which is better for me to be with God. What's more important is you. You're more important, your preferences and what's best for you, I'm going to put above my own preferences for myself. He was convinced that God needed him to serve a little longer. That's why he says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress in joy in the faith. Now, we don't know what happened here. We don't know. There had been other times where God had told Paul, you're going to give witness to me in Rome. Could God have at some point told Paul, hey, you're going to give witness to me again in Philippi? I don't know. We don't have that recorded in our scripture. But what do we know? We know that he committed his life to further the progress of other people's faith and for them to experience that same type of joy that he had. Did you catch that? He says that for your progress and what? Joy in the faith. Here he was in the current situation he was. He says, I am presently rejoicing. And as I look to the future, I'm going to keep rejoicing even in my hard circumstances. Why? So that you all can have joy in your faith. Wow. Is that the priority of your life? You know, it's kind of a hokey thing, but a lot of people pointed out the acrostic joy. When you put Jesus first, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then you put, oh, others, their priorities above you, and then yourself, J-O-Y. What happens? There's joy. There's joy. Is that the priority of your life? That's the proper order. And when you live that way, what is going to be the result? Look what it says in verse 26. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in who? In Jesus Christ. Because of my coming to you again. And as Paul lived that way for Christ's glory, that Christ would be seen in his life, as he embraced that future joy, This type of life, what will it do? It will ultimately give God glory. People will see it. In fact, Paul had told the the Galatians in one point. When he had come to Christ, he had told the Galatians how when people started hearing of his testimony and what God had done in his life, it says this, and they glorified God because of what? Because of me. And what he's saying here is this. As I live this way and I rejoice in these situations, ultimately, who's going to get the glory? God is going to get the glory. And that's what it's all about. So this morning, as you seek to live together for the gospel as Lebanon Baptist Church, you can presently rejoice in the difficulties of life. But as a reminder to you, with Jesus in our lives, you can keep rejoicing. You can keep going. It's future joy. Why? Because you know a gripping truth that whatever happens in your life, it will lead to your what? Deliverance. And what's going to participate and help with that is God's prayers and the Holy Spirit who lives within you. But also, you are to live for a greater purpose. And that greater purpose is this, for me to live as what? Christ. And not only Christ, I'm to live for the good of other people. I'm to live for 
The church of Jesus Christ. I'm to do good, especially to those who are of the household of what? Of faith. And what will that do? This will fuel our joy and allow our faith to be contagious. And ultimately, it will allow God's glory to rebound in this community. How in the world are people rejoicing in their difficulties and dealing with all this? How are they rejoicing? How is this happening? You know what? It's him. It's him. It's him. So, as you and I face another week, as on November 1st, tomorrow, as you face another month, can you say with the Apostle Paul, yes, and I will rejoice. I will rejoice. I hope you can say that. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he made all the difference in the world, that we can be people that not only have present joy, but can have future joy. And Lord, help us to be a a church, a body of believers that are constantly embracing that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.